Some of you might have heard of the church, Westboro Baptist Church in Topeka, Kansas. If that doesn't ring any bells, then I'm sure this would. Um, This is the group that is protesting at the funerals of uh, military uh, dead, um, protesting America's stands with homosexuality putting up signs like God hates fags, things like that, posting them at these funerals where our military men and women are killed. This was brought before the U.S. Supreme Court as one of the fathers sued them. And the U.S. Supreme Court defended the right to protest at a funeral. And so... We read this, and we've got mixed feelings. I've got quite a few feelings thinking, why? How does this group call themselves a church and um, a Baptist church at that? And and then they um, have this message of uh, that God hates fags and things like that, and then they post them at a a funeral. And I'm just thinking, how how does a, a church have a climate where they think, oh, this is a great idea. How do you how do you get into that climate where this flows out, you know? And uh, and then I, I read, read the Supreme Court's case, and I'm thinking, well, okay, I've got mixed feelings about that because this is America. We've got the right to speech. Um, but really, do we have to have rights for that speech? Because we have freedom from all sorts in America, but we don't have the freedom from being mean. We don't have the freedom of good sense. I mean, who's going to free us from stupidity? I find that the rich and the powerful are just as vulnerable of being stupid. I'm going to use that word because sometimes that's what it is. Um, I I think the scandals going on recently, you you can't be too powerful, too wealthy, uh, too political, and bam. who's Who's going to free mankind from being stupid? Who's going to free mankind from being mean? (laughs) Who's going to give us a little bit of common sense? This is a question that often comes, but it's something we live with because we live in America where folks have freedom to do just about anything. And we see just about anything, the good, the bad, the ugly, that goes on in our country. And we have to say legally, yeah, They've got the right to do that. We've got to live with that. So I think about that. And I read Galatians 5, where it talks about freedom. And I finally find a solution. Who's going to free us from being stupid? Who's going to free us from being mean? Who's going to free us from being impatient? Who can break this cycle? And Paul points to this and says, there is a break in the cycle. And I want to tell you about it. And so we're going to look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 through 15. I'm going to make some observations about freedom from this text. Um, And uh, it's going to point toward this idea of love, which is extremely important in the New Testament and the Old Testament as well. Uh, because the Bible says God is love, and so we're going to see in His Word how that's revealed, how He calls us to be people of love. 
And so, with this thought in mind, as we look at these observations about freedom, let's, let's stand as we read this together. Galatians chapter 5, we're going to read verse 13 through 15. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. You may be seated. Remember the context here. This church is a mix of Jews and Gentiles. Uh, the Gentiles will receive Paul's word of the gospel of Jesus Christ with open arms. They rejoiced in it, receiving it not from Paul, but as a, from God. But then later on, folks came from Jerusalem who were Jews, who are the circumcised sort, who followed the Jewish law, who also uh, ad- adhered to Jesus Christ, believed that he was the Messiah, and had some profession of faith. But then they came among these people, the Gentiles, in Galatia, and taught them and said, Jesus is a great start, but for us to really grow, now that you have access to God, for you to really grow, get past the gospel, and get to the Jewish law, and start doing these things at good. So if you act good, as according to what the Old Testament tells us, then you will indeed be good and be approved by God. So let's do the Ten Commandments, let's do the ceremonial laws, let's get circumcised, let's celebrate the Jewish feast days, the special days. And so this was coming into the church body, and with it became a separation where there was first class and second class Christians, all right? Uh, If you were a really good Christian, then you did these X amount of things, all right? Does that sound familiar? Does that sound familiar? Is it amazing how that same spirit is captured throughout the ages into churches today? When Paul wrote this letter, he realized he was fighting for the truth of the gospel, that he was preserving the truth of the gospel for the Gentile sake, for our sake, and as well as those around in that time. He wanted us to make sure we understood the gospel. There are no such things as second class Christians. Either you are in Christ or you're not in Christ. And if you are in Christ, then God calls you right. Done by the grace of God. Done by faith. And so, there's a freedom found in this. It's interesting, as I don't know if you've noticed this, but as we've gone through Galatians, we're, we're getting closer to the end, and I'm kind of figuring out how, to, how can I make this go slower, because I really like Galatians, that's what I do. Uh, and, but we've only had three commands in the entire book. Do you realize that? There's only been three commands, and we're on the fifth chapter. Uh, the, the first one uh, we find in, um, well, where is it at? <laughs> well, we see it in chapter 5, verse 1, where it says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. He tells us right there from the very beginning that we are to, again, stand in the grace of Christ. Stand in the grace of Christ. Uh, the one that we've seen earlier is where he tells us to imitate him. Where he tells us to imitate him. And so now this is the third command where he simply tells us, for you were called to freedom, brothers, and, and so stay in that 
freedom. Stay in that freedom. Uh, don't go away from this freedom. So, uh, don't use it for opportunity for flesh, but serve one another through love. So, first thing you need to understand, observation about freedom is that it's God's desire is our freedom. God's desire is our freedom. This is verse 13. You were called to freedom. All right? Uh, that's the idea that God knew you and called you. When you were still trying to figure yourself out, God had you figured out. He knew you. In fact, in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, Paul brought this out to, the, to them uh, uh, to the people of Galatians, says, look, you know, uh, why are you deserting him who called you and turning to a different gospel? He says, God is the one that's been calling you. Now, it's interesting. How did God call him? Paul's, Paul's bringing this out. You were called by God. How did he know that they were called by God? How did that happen? Simply, Paul preached the gospel. Paul just preached the gospel and he knew that God was calling through the preaching of the gospel. Isn't that funny? You think, well, who's called by God and who's not? You know what? It doesn't matter for us. All we're to do is preach the gospel. And God calls people through the preaching of the gospel. It's just how he's made it to work in our life. Just like he's ordained eating food for us to live, he's ordained preaching the gospel for folks to be called by him. So that's why folks go to Dearborn with the hope, with the, with the goal of proclaiming the gospel, demonstrating the gospel, and proclaiming the gospel, because we know that through that God calls us to freedom. God calls us by the gospel. And so it's something God is doing through the preaching of his word. Now, here's, here's the summary, so to speak, of what Paul's been teaching them. You're not saved by works. You're saved by the grace of God. The law no longer has the same effect on us. We are dead to the law. Here's, here's another way of saying it. God is no longer your judge. Uh, this is something I was thinking through this past week. I was trying to get my head around that. God, the Father, is no longer our judge. I have lived all my life thinking God is my judge, right? I mean, who else could it be? God is our judge. All right. For those who recognize I'm in deep trouble because God is my judge. I have got sin in my life. And I cannot hope to make my life better to somehow offset all the bad things I've done. What do I do? Jesus says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They come bankrupt before God. God says, I will save you by my grace. And the grace is given through Jesus Christ, who lived the life we should have lived. He fulfilled the law of God by his life. But then he died a death. I should have died. He paid the penalty of my sin. God judged my sin. He did, he's already judged my sin and he laid it upon Jesus Christ and says, Jesus, my beloved son, you are now Jared's sin and I will, you will face the full punishment of that sin and he faces the wrath of God and Jesus says, oh my God, why have you forsaken me? He is forsaken by God because my sin separated me by God and so God 
already sentenced me to, through Jesus Christ. I am crucified with Christ. So, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Can you get your head around that? God is no longer my judge. He has already judged me through Jesus Christ. (laughs) Listen, the gospel is not just for unbelievers. So we have this mind thing of, uh, all right, we're going to preach the gospel to folks who have never heard. Listen, I have grown up in church. My dad is a pastor. I have been going to church nine months since before I was born. And I've just been continuing on. All right. I've been in a church that's preached the gospel. But you know what I need when I wake up again in the next day? I need to preach the gospel to myself every day of my life. Gospel is not just for those who are unbelievers. The gospel is for all people. We have in this mind, okay, the gospel is for my life before I knew Christ. Now that I'm a believer in Christ, now I'm going to go and be discipled. I'm going to be sanctified. And so we're working on our disciplines and we're working on, on what we don't do and what we do do. Listen, if I start going in that direction, apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ, I start reverting back into a bondage of saying God's going to judge me. And, and if I don't live right today, then God's going to think less of me today. And, oh, man, I should have had my quiet time because now I had my quiet time. My day is just going to pot. Let me have my quiet time so I make sure the day's going to go right today. It's not a, it's not a good luck charm. Okay? It's not a good luck charm that you're doing. Listen to this quote. Your, this is by Jerry Bridges from the book The Discipline of Grace. Your worst days are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace. And my worst times, God's grace is sufficient. I may wake up mean and cranky. I wake up out of the bed cussing. I mean, that, kind, that type of day. And from that point on, it goes downhill. All right? I've not gone beyond God's grace. And your best days are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace. I wake up, have my quiet time in the morning, have a time gather my family together. Let's, say, let's have a prayer. Let's sing a song together. And we have order in our day. We eat breakfast and everybody gets out in the car, gets right to the right places without a, a curt word to one another. And we go out and we stay on task and we are saying great things to other people. And, and we have an opportunity to share the gospel with someone at the end. And we say to ourselves, God, I can tell why you gave me the opportunity to share the gospel with someone else because because look at how I've lived my life. No. Our righteousness is as filthy rags before God. Even when we're at our best, we've not reached God's standard. And it's tinged with selfishness. So I wake up now and say, God... You love me. You love me. It is well 
with my sin, with my soul, because my sin, not in part, but the whole, even that which I've not yet committed, that which I'm going to be surprising and dismayed at myself for what I'm capable of doing, my sin in full is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Listen, I'm going to tell you there is such freedom in knowing that I live my life and at the end of the day, God says, I love you. When I've yet come to the end of the day, there is such freedom in knowing that when I go before God, I go not to my judge, but I go to my father. I talk to him as a son to a father, not as a prisoner or a convict to a judge, not as a guilty person to a judge. One person has written that bad behavior happens when we fail to believe that everything we need in Christ we already have. It happens when we fail to believe in the rich provisional resources that are already ours in the gospel. Conversely, good behavior happens when we daily rest in and receive Christ it is finished, into new and deeper parts of our being every day. The more I focus on my need to get better, the worse I actually get. I become neurotic and self-absorbed. Preoccupation with my performance over Christ's performance for me makes me increasingly self-centered and morbidly introspective. Isn't that something? You know you're bad and you start thinking about how bad you are and think, man, I just need to be better. I need to start talking right. I, need to, I don't need to be such a fuss pot. I, you know, I, I, I need to, I, I need, and then it doesn't help you. You become self-perspective and you go down this downward, depressive cycle. I just need to stop. I've shared with you, or some of you before, how do you stop thinking about pink elephants? If you tell myself, okay, don't think about pink, oh, okay, don't think about, ah, how do I stop thinking about pink elephants? If you start going down this road of what I don't do, it becomes entrenched in your mind and your heart. You start thinking about white hippos. All right? You replace it. God says, stop thinking about yourself, even how bad you are. Yes, you're bad. Like I'm sharing with you on Mother's Day. It was a great time to do this. Yeah, okay, you're terrible moms. Just deal with that. All right? Because your identity is not based in that. Just think about Christ. Think about what he's done. And dads, our husbands, yes, you're terrible husbands. All right? Said it for you ladies, all right? Um, but my performance isn't based on that. Or my identity is not based on that performance. It's that Christ loves me. God loves me. And if God is for me, who can be against us? The gospel is that God is for you. And that you can be right with him. There is such freedom in that. Now, I could spend a long time on that. I already have. Um, so let's, let's read the, the next part here. Um, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. God's freedom for us can be abused. God's freedom for us can be abused. This idea, this concept, you mean God is no longer my judge? Hot dog! I'm ready to roll. Here are all the things I wanted to do if I knew that I wouldn't be judged. All right? Now here in America... Um, 
As I said, we've got our freedoms. One of the contested ones is, are we free to burn a flag? You know, and just the image of our flag being burnt, it just kind of rips us a little bit. What? How dare you? And then we find out it's the American citizens that are doing that? That's messed up. This is what we would call an abuse of a freedom. Yes, it's a freedom. It's constitutionally allowed. Just because it's allowed doesn't mean it's a good thing to do. There is an abuse of freedom. There is an abuse of the gospel. This freedom that we have. He says, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. You see, here's the thing. John chapter 8, verse 34 through 36, Jesus said this. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son remains forever. If the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. The gospel frees us from the sin of self. Self-centered. And self-centered comes out in many different ways. Even religion is a very popular and probably the most popular and prevalent way of expressing self-centeredness. I'll explain that in a little bit. But the gospel frees us from this. And if we look at it as God's no longer going to judge me and I can do whatever I want, then we're going to find ourselves in chains again to ourself. This opportunity is, is kind of like the, the base of operations. It's, it's a springboard. I, I think about Kandahar and, and, um, and um, Afghanistan, right? Okay. <laughs> that was a Ford operating base. I mean, we're not, we're not flying out of Fort Bragg. Right? We've got to go to that site, have a forward operation base. And so what our flesh does, it takes this thing called the gospel, the beauty of the gospel, the freedom of it, and says, all right, I'm going to use it as a beachhead to do further damage into this person's soul as an opportunity for the flesh. Now, this, this idea of flesh refers to the fallen human nature. It's the center of human pride. It's the center of self-will. It's the arena of indulgence. It's the arena of self-assertion. It's the source of our thoughts that life is not the gift of God, but something you obtain by one's own power and living from oneself rather than from God. We are to be in the flesh, but not of the flesh. So it's not the physical part that we're talking about. It's man's ego that has a deep emptiness and uses this I, uh, to this emptiness and, and feeds, tries to feed the emptiness, whether it's, if it's a religious person, they might use God to feed this, or it might be, if they're irreligious, they might pick some um, substance like uh, alcohol to marijuana to any number of things to say, let me feed myself. It could be a person, a husband, a wife, a child, where we try to take them to feed this emptiness in our heart. So don't surrender the freedom that you have in the all-satisfying Christ to turn to some unsatisfying desire of mere physical pleasure or some kind of self-exaltation. Don't don't go that way. He says, don't look at it as that. So, what, what do we do here? Well, let's look in the next part here. Instead of seeing this as an opportunity for the flesh, God's freedom was, was given to us. God called us to his freedom but through love, serve one another. 
Here's the interesting paradox. God's freedom for, is for us to make us servants. What? God's freedom is given to us to make us servants. Because the reality is that we are going to be serving something. We are going to serve something. And he's asking us to serve one another. Uh, that word, word serve comes from the word where we get slave. It's not like a, uh, a nice, polite uh, helper, a waiter, a waitress. But no, it's, it's slave. <laughs> Just kind of be a slave to everyone else. Uh, why? What, what's, what's the point here? I, I would have you know that the opposite of flesh is love through service. Remember? Opposite of self-centeredness. Who's going to free us from our stupidity? Who's going to free us from being mean? Who's going to free us from being uh, selfish? The gospel is the only one, the only thing that can do that. To free us from ourself. And the opposite of that is love serving one another. Martin Luther wrote this. So the Christian is free and independent in every respect. A bond servant to none. A Christian is a dutiful servant in every respect. Owning a duty to everyone. All right. First of all, you need to understand that love is a motive. All right. Love is a motive. We've heard love is a verb. Okay. DC talk song, love is a verb. Um, love is a motive that requires verbs. Okay. Um, it is to serve. It is to give. It is to encourage. It is to sacrifice. But primarily, it is a motivation. Which is why uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, if you give all that you have but have not love, you have nothing. What is he saying? You can do the actions, but you don't have the motive, then the actions doesn't count. It is a motive that's being given to us. What is this motive? Here's how you can define love. Love is putting the needs of someone else above your own desires to meet your own needs. Love is putting the needs of someone else above your own desires to meet your needs. You know how hard that is? That's hard to do. I remember, you've ever tried to fly on a kite when there was no wind? I remember getting a kite, and I was so excited about having the kite that it, wind was irrelevant. Sweet, a kite. Let's see this thing in the sky. So what do you do? You run yourself like crazy, creating wind. And it's still bouncing on the ground. And after three trips back and forth, man, you're exhausted. (laughs) But when you go out and the breeze catches that kite, all you do is stand there and watch it go. Listen, loving someone else when you're doing it on your own power is like trying to fly a kite with no wind. You exhaust yourself and you're tired and it doesn't fly very good. But when the love of Christ gets into your heart, it changes things drastically and how you love someone else. Because for the first time, you're not loving them for your own self. You're not loving them for your own self. Let me go on to the next point so I can bring that out. God's freedom for us allows love in us. God's freedom for us allows love in us. Notice verse 14. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor 
as yourself. And so he says, I freed you not to do the law. I freed you to fulfill the law. There's a difference between that. Jesus himself said, I've come to fulfill the law. What is the law summed up? Well, he says it here is to love one another as yourself. And you're thinking, well, wait a second, Paul, you, you, you missed some verses. Uh, let's go back. Leviticus 19. Verse 18, you shall take no vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I'm the Lord. Matthew 5, 43, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Matthew 22, verse 34 through 40, but when the Pharisees heard that he silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So you're saying, well, Paul, you know, you skipped something here. Jesus said the first one is to love God with all your heart, soul, and strength. How come you skipped that one? He skipped it because if you can love one another, you can't do that unless you love God. You say, well, I can't do, Pastor. I, I don't know Christ. I haven't experienced this relationship you're talking about. I, I love folks all the time. In fifth grade, um, it was a hard year, mainly because girls started becoming more important. Um, and, and, and with it, brought a lot of heart heartache in my life, all right? Um, there's this fifth grade thing where you say, hey, are you going with me? I want to go with you. And somehow it had some type of dating type relationship, which looking back, all it was was writing a letter and everyone looking at you differently and our behavior really didn't change. Like, oh, we're going with one another. Don't do it. It's, it's stupid. I'm using that word a lot. I'm sorry. But it is. It, and so here's this thing going on with this girl, and, and we were going together. And, and, and one day, I act kind of mean to her. And next thing I know, the next day, she's rallied up all these people to beat me up. I mean, she's got a, a seventh grader who's going to get on the bus and, and, and do damage. And I, I've seen him do this to my buddy, and I was, I was shaken up. My dad was trying to teach me how to fight and stuff. <laughs> I was just like, I don't know if I want to go that route, you know. There's a lot of folks that, that are mad at me. So here's what I did. I acted real nice to her. I mean, she's the source of the problem. So I'm, I'm just talking to her, playing with her, being really nice to her. She calls off the dogs. <laughs> so is that, wow, Jared, you really learned at a young age how to love your enemies. Is that what that is? No. That's called manipulation. I learned how to manipulate, and it came fairly quick with the whole advent of girls and guys. I think the girls did too. Um, see, our tendency is to love people who have injury to us. And, and our thought is, if I love them who injure me, who have the power to hurt me, if I will love them, then maybe they'll stop hurting me. Or maybe they'll have some advantage toward me if I'm nice to them. And we call that, oh, I'm just loving them. Maybe my husband will treat me better if I love him. 
Or maybe my spouse will stop nagging me if I love them. And the thought is, if I do this, then it's going to come back to me. See, pastor, I can love people. I don't have to have Christ in my life. I would just say, you're loving yourself. The folks come knocking at your door. Hello! We're from the Jehovah's Witnesses group, or the Mormons group, or the Green Pines Baptist group. Have you heard the good news of Jesus Christ? Are you familiar with the Bible? Are you people of the book? Let me share with you this word. And it's 100 degrees outside. They're sweating, coming down their face. And you've seen they've already hit the rest of the street. And they've got more streets to go. And you think, man, you must really love God. But what if they're doing it so that maybe they can avoid some punishment by doing this? Is that love? Or is that trying to manipulate God? Or, or what if... You know what? I'm going to go to the food pantry this week and I'm going to take care of the folks who are really down and out. Because if I do that, then maybe I'll stop feeling guilty. I don't want to feel guilty anymore. So I'm going to do these acts of love. Is that, does that love? Or is that just another way of serving yourself? Trying to avoid guilt. I'm just bringing to your attention that love is a little bit more trickier than you think. How do you separate yourself? When you hear the gospel and you see it for what it is, what God has done for you, there is something so beautiful of the fact that God says, I am for you. Your sins are forgiven. I am no, I'm no longer your judge. You are now my son. I am your father. And despite whatever comes in your day, at the end of this day, I will love you no less than I already do now. That idea is something so beautiful about it that it has the power within it to transform our heart and just to help it. God sends the Spirit of God, which according to Romans chapter 6, verse 5, shed abroad the love of God in my heart so I'm being changed fundamentally from the inside out so that when I love another person it is not because that person is such a nice person or that person is such a mean person that they're going to do harm to me it's because God has put a love in my heart that is no longer about me I'm crucified with Christ Nevertheless, I still live. I live in this flesh, but I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave myself, himself for me. And so I give it out. And now there is within us a capacity to love because our self has been crucified. It doesn't matter anymore about ourself. And this picture seems so attractive, but we ask ourselves, how do we get there? How do I get there. And I'm going to say it's in the gospel. It's what God has done for us. God's freedom is given for us to allow love in us. John 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. 
John 15, and the commandment was to love one another. John 15, verse 10 to 12. If you keep my commandments, you abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And in verse 9, the same chapter, John 15, he says, My Father has loved me, and I have loved you with the same love. Listen, did you get that? John 15, verse 9, it's not on your screen, you're going to have to look that one up. You think, God the Father, God the Son, perfect love for all eternity. I mean, a speck of dust has never been between them and their intimacy. That love, Jesus said, just as my Father has loved me, I have loved you. You. <laughs> you know what that means? God is not going to go back in His love. No more than He's going to go back in the love between God the Father and God the Son. Man, that is an incredible gift that God has given to me and to you. This type of love He's given. And He says, abide in this love. In other words, when you wake up in the day, think about that. Believe that. Trust in that and let that shape who you are and let the Spirit of God shed that love in your heart so that when you view your spouse, you view your children, you view the people you come across in your day, you say, you know what? I don't need them to fill some void in my life. I'm not going to try to use them anymore. Say, child, you need to act right because you're my son. And if you're my son and act right, then I'm going to feel better about myself. We're using them to fill a void in our heart. I think about John 13, uh, in the very first part where Jesus says, knowing that he'd come from the Father and is going to the Father, and knowing the love that God the Father had for him, he took upon himself the servant's robe and washed their feet. What did they have to do with knowing where he came from? Had everything to do with it. Because he realized that he's not going to be better just because a few 12 guys are going to look up to him and say, oh, you're the master. No, he knows that his enemy is found in Jesus Christ. And so he can take the robe and wash their feet. It frees them. It frees them. Now, this gets us to the last observation about the gospel. Verse 15. Without God's freedom for us to love, we walk self-destructive paths. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out. That you're not consumed by one another. You ever got chocolate rabbits for Easter? I had to get over something to actually eat those things. I, I had a tendency to personify everything. Yeah, I didn't want to throw out my toys because I thought it hurt their feelings. And so, <laughs> <coughs> Toy Story touched a nerve with me. Um, and so I see a chocolate rabbit. I'm thinking, I eat their ears. Poor rabbit. You know? So chocolate rabbits would go forever, you know. Um, I've got over that. Um, but he says, you treat one another like chocolate rabbits. You think they're there just for your enjoyment? You think other people exist to fill that craving in your heart? We're not chocolate rabbits walking around here. He says, but if you don't have the love of God in your heart... That's how fellowship's going to be. That's how family's going to be. You're just going to look at other people as a source to make yourself feel better. You devour them. 
He's talking to folks who have a tendency to think, you know what, I, I need to do the Ten Commandments. I need, to, I need to be circumcised. I need to go by the Jewish law. I need to do these things so God will be right, or I'll be right with God. I'm going to keep on doing, I'm going to keep on doing. And what happens when you have that, you can't love people anymore. You don't have the capacity to love someone as God has called you because you've got this huge craving in your life to get right with God and you just see other people as a means to the end. And you devour them. If we're loving others to have a hope of getting proof before God, we would not just be using others for our own benefit. This is... It's just a little bit more subtle, yet even more powerful form of selfishness. Though this may make them better fathers, better workers, the motivation goes back to themselves. The natural inclination is use the other person to provide for what we lack in ourselves. This is what sets unrealistic hopes for marriages, for children, for work, for employees, for your life. So what Paul says, if you give away all that you have and deliver your body to be burned, but you do not have love, you've gained nothing. So what John says, Jesus says, greater love hath no man than he laid down his life for his friends. How can we do that? Because we know that our life has been given to us by God and it's been sustained by him. When we love others from a heart that knows God's love, this command is not a bondage, but a freedom. Our motivation To love one another is no longer our reputation. It's no longer the character of the person, nor is it our own discipline. The motivation, the strength to love another comes from God. This will free the disciple to love the unlovely. This will free the disciple to be generous to someone who cannot repay. This will free, this love will enable a disciple to be kind to someone who is rude. This love will empower a disciple to sacrifice for the greedy person in their life. This love needs to be applied to our life, our spouse, our family, our neighbors, our co-worker, our boss. This love needs to apply to the other disciples in this church body. This love will glorify God. Galatians 2.20 I've been crucified with Christ. God's not my judge anymore. The law no longer has effect. It's already been sentenced. The sentence on Jesus Christ and I, I face the sentence with him. But it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. He fulfilled the law by perfect love of God, the Father, and love to one another. And his spirit resides in me. And the life I now live in the flesh is not of the flesh, but it's of the faith. In the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Trust and obey what? The gospel. You don't outgrow the gospel. You grow with the gospel. And I've lived my life, what, 36 years now, in the church... And every day, I preach the gospel to myself. It's like David's psalms to a tortured Saul. The strands of the gospel sound so beautiful to my ear, to my soul. 
I have time with the Lord, not so that my day will go right. But I couldn't think of anyone better to spend the day with. Because it all starts with the fact that God loved me. Loved me still. Loves me always. And it is well with my soul. Let's pray.